Am I on? I'm audible. All right, I'm going to start by handing out some 3x5 cards and uh, pens if you need them. Just take one card, and uh, we're going to be writing on them. So if you don't have something to write with, grab one of these pens. Well, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Ron. I am one of the lay ministers here. Um, not lame ministers, lay ministers. Um, I guess you could call us deacons. Um, and I'll be preaching tonight out of Galatians 5, 1 to 15, the very passage uh, that we heard earlier during worship. Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are in charge here, and we have gathered around you. Thank you, God, that you lead us, that you are involved in our lives as a loving Father. I ask tonight that you would soften our hearts to your word, and that you would allow us to hear uh, the true things about you that come from this message and uh, that you would give us uh, open ears as well as clear thinking uh, and open hearts. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, many of you know my kids, Aizen and Maywa, and you might remember not so long ago when Maywa was a baby, um, even a little toddler, she had especially plump cheeks. And... My wife uh, was in the habit of gently squeezing her cheeks, and when she would squeeze her cheeks, she would say, chubby, chubby. And Mewa would giggle, and everybody thought this was hilarious and adorable, so much so uh, that Aizen and Mewa both started doing it themselves, except they wouldn't do it to each other. Uh, well, they would do it to each other, but they would also do it to us. And there was one time I remember... It was in the morning, and I was walking around in my pajamas uh, without my shirt on, as the man of the house has a right to do, and I feel a little hand on my midsection, squeezing me in the love handle area and saying, chubby, chubby. <laughs> and this child of mine who shall remain nameless intended no dishonor, because in their mind, this was still adorable and hilarious. This was something that loving family members did to each other. But in my mind, this was neither adorable nor hilarious. Uh, in fact, I felt very dishonorable in that moment. Um, and um, it started me on this cascade of thoughts, right? Because... Uh, my child hit on one of my touch points of shame, which is I am not in shape. So I started thinking uh, I should be doing better in this area of my life. I should be going to bed early so that I can wake up early and work out. I should be making better choices about uh, being in shape. And the thing is I have a lot of these touch points of shame. I have them in basically every category of my life. I have them in my um, 
in my finances, right? In my health, my eating habits, working out. Um, I have them in my relationships too, right? I have touch points of shame in my relationship with my wife, in my relationship with my kids, uh, my friends, my coworkers. And I think about them often, right? Sometimes uh, I'll even be sitting listening to a sermon and my mind will wander and I start thinking about what I need to change in my life to work out more. So I thought if some of us, maybe I'm the only one, um, but now I'm going to make all of you like me uh, in this. If our minds are going to go to touch points of shame during sermons, we might as well make it part of the sermon. And that is what the three by five cards are for. Um, I'm going to move forward here. So what I'd like you to do with the three by five card is write down two things, right? The first thing I want you to write down is a relationship where you feel like you should be doing better. And if you can, make it as specific as possible, right? So like for me, for example, I might write, um, I feel like I should be doing better in disciplining my kids out of love rather than out of anger. And the second thing to write on the three by five card is, an area in one of those life categories that I mentioned where you feel like you should be doing better, right? Where you feel like you should be making better choices, whether it's work, school, eating habits, uh, exercise, finances. And we're just going to have, we're not going to share these, by the way, you're going to keep it to yourself. And uh, we're going to put the cards aside when you're done with them and come back to them later. Um, But, just wanted you to keep track of a couple of your shame touch points. Now this week we are continuing our series in Galatians. Um, Galatians is a letter from Paul to the churches in Galatia, which is a region in where? Asia Minor, Southern Turkey, yeah. Um, And Paul, with Barnabas, uh, as far as we know, started these churches. Um, And so uh, we know this uh, if we read in Acts, what? 13 and 14, yeah. That's where it describes Paul first beginning ministry to the churches in the region of Galatia. Um, And this letter, Galatians is really uh, about one big idea, which is the law versus faith, right? The law meaning the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, the law that the Jewish people had followed very closely for centuries versus faith in Jesus, faith in who Jesus was and in what he did. And so we're going to read again uh, Galatians 5, 1 through 15. And this time, as I read through it, uh, keep in mind uh, that making good decisions for us, I think, has a similar impact to the word law um, for the people that Paul was writing to. And so if in your mind you replace law, and we're also going to hear circumcision, which is really just a symbol of obeying the law, um, think of... um, making good decisions so that um, I think you can uh, 
catch the spirit of what Paul is saying to uh, the people in Galatia. Starting in verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, but by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. All right, I'm going to pause here because I'm the second person to say emasculate today. Um, and if you don't know what that word means, uh, that's good. Don't just ask your parents or maybe, maybe don't ask your parents. Um, anyway, uh, I thought at first that this was Paul like showing his sense of humor. But if you read the rest of Galatians or really any of his letters, I'm pretty sure he's not trying to be funny. I think he means it. Um, and, you know, it, it seems to me like probably the people in Galatia thought this was funny. Right? I think this was like getting a letter from your crazy, passionate grandpa that's written in all capital letters. Right? Paul even says at the end here, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Right? I think the people of Galatia at that time were probably like, yeah, we know, Paul, that this was you. Who else would tell the Judaizers to emasculate themselves? You know? I think this, is, this kind of passion uh, is pretty unique to Paul. All right, let's go on. Uh, verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, I had asked you to keep in mind this concept of making good choices or making good decisions as for us serving the place of the law. And I'm going to pull on that thread a bit more, and I'm going to look back at some other verses in Galatians. Um, we're going to look at verse 3, 2, uh, 3, 5, and 5, 6. I'm going to read these verses, and this time I'm actually going to replace law or circumcision with making good decisions, um, again, so we can feel kind of the impact uh, that Paul was going for. Verse 3-2 says, Did you receive the Spirit by making good decisions or by believing what you heard? And 3-5 says, Did God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you made good decisions or because you believe what you heard? And coming uh, to our passage today in chapter 5, verse 6, it might say, In Christ Jesus, neither good decisions nor bad decisions have any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself as love. 
And so what Paul says is the only thing that matters is belief, is faith, right? is faith in Jesus and who he was and in what he did. But that leaves our decisions as not mattering much one way or the other. And so I'm going to talk about two things that we can focus on in our lives. And um, this is the picture that Paul paints for us. We can either focus on making good decisions or we can focus on belief, right? It's Paul sets them up as uh, contrary to one another. And so um, he tells us that if we focus on making good decisions, that's really useless for making us good. And when he talks about freedom versus slavery, he's pointing to this decision to focus on good, um, uh, good actions, right? Following the law, making good decisions as being like slavery. And then he talks about belief. And um, do you remember what he says we receive in verses 3, 2, and 3, 5 when we believe? Spirit, yeah, God's spirit is what we receive when we believe. And so there's... Um, this contrast between the life of good decisions and the life of belief and the spirit. And I'm going to talk about both of those a bit more. Uh, I'll start with good decisions, right? I said good decisions are useless or focusing on making good decisions is useless for making us good. Uh, What does that mean? Useless for making us good? Well, it reminds me of ornithology. Uh, I know that comes out of left field. Bear with me. It's going to make sense, uh, maybe. But who can tell me what ornithologists study? Birds. Yeah. Um, they study birds. If you have a question about what a bird is, does anybody know what that bird is, by the way? Gila woodpecker. Yeah, that's a Gila woodpecker. I, imp- I didn't know that until this afternoon when I looked it up. Uh, they're all over Tucson. If you had a question about what that bird was and you didn't have a congregation to ask, you would go to an ornithologist, right? Because um, an ornithologist could tell you. They, they study about birds in books and in museum collections, and they study about birds in the wild, right? They spend lots of time watching birds, to understand what they do and why. And so ornithologists are bird experts, but ornithology is useless for making you a bird. (laughs) Right, an ornithologist could imitate a bird. They could be as birdish as they knew how, and they could flap their arms as hard as they could, and it's not going to make them a bird. (laughs) Conversely, birds don't care about ornithology, right? Ornithology is pretty useless to birds because they're birds. And, you know, you can, you can picture an ornithologist grabbing a Gila woodpecker by the wings and flapping them hard saying, you're doing it wrong, right? <laughs> it's just, it's absurd, right? But when we focus on making good decisions, I think oftentimes that's what we end up doing with Jesus, right? We become righteousness experts, but we're not righteous. Jesus is righteous, And so we tell Jesus, you are doing it wrong, right? That's what the Pharisees did to Jesus when he healed people on the Sabbath on a couple of occasions, right? Jesus 
would find somebody who was um, was ailing in their health for uh, for whatever reason. It would be the Sabbath, and he'd heal them, and the Pharisees would lecture him about healing on the Sabbath. Right? He miraculously heals a person's body, and he gets a lecture about it. Right? The Pharisees were righteousness experts, but Jesus was righteous. So if the ornithology analogy isn't, isn't working for you, it might not, and that's okay. I'll go back to Eric's analogy um, about MRIs. Right? MRIs are medical scans, but MRIs are useless in themselves for making you healthy. Right? Uh, similarly, with like your fuel gauge in your car, Right? The fuel gauge is useless for filling up your car with fuel. Right? Even, even if you were to reach into the dashboard and flip the needle from E to F, your car's not going to be full of gas. Right? Ornithology is useless for making people birds, and making good decisions is useless for making us good. Right? Because the reality of who we are, inside and out, is not good. But it's in Christ that we're invited to be birds, not ornithologists, right? We're invited to be righteous rather than righteousness experts. And that's why in verse five of chapter five, it says, by faith, we eagerly await through the spirit, the righteousness for which we hope, right? Righteousness is something we hope for. It's not something that we have right now, but it's something that we hope for in faith. And so I'm going to talk about this other way of focusing in our lives on belief rather than on making good decisions. We said that, well, Paul said that, it's through belief that we receive God's spirit. And scripture says a lot about what it means to receive God's spirit, about how his spirit works in our hearts to align us with God and is active um, in our lives. But I think it's actually Paul in Galatians who distills it down really to its essence, at least insofar as its essence for how it applies tonight. If we go to Galatians uh, chapter 4, verse 6, I'll read it. Uh, Paul tells us what the Spirit does. He says, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So the Spirit that we have when we believe in who Jesus was and what he did is a Spirit that recognizes God and calls out to him, Abba, Father. Because Jesus knew God by acquaintance, not by facts. And when we get to know Jesus in that way, we also get to know God by acquaintance. And we get to become acquainted with God as a father, a father who's loving and present and active in our lives and in our community. Like it says in Romans 8.28, uh, this is a familiar verse for us. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And in Ezekiel 36, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. 
So it's not us by focusing on what good decisions we ought to be making that change our own hearts. It's God in us by his spirit that changes our hearts, not to do the right thing, but to want to do the right thing. And it's God who works in us now for our own good. And so this is why in the first verse of this passage, Paul says we are free. It may not seem to connect uh, at first, but what this means is that we are free to be weak. We're free to be not good. Right? We're free to make bad decisions and still be loved and still be taken care of. Just like a loving father doesn't hold their child's weakness against them. If you have had the chance to volunteer in Kid Vespers or nursery, you know what this is like because you have taken a lot of very weak people under your wing and cared for them and they make a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> and this is what God is up to with us. This is why we're free. And so the life that we're called to is a life of belief, right? of believing that God sent his son to save us and that we are free to be weak. And so uh, we're going to pull out those three by five cards again. And what I want you to do with the three by five card, I have my own somewhere over here. is just uh, fold it in half and then write on the front, Abba, Father. And the idea here is that when we think of our touch points of shame, the places where we're weak and we feel like we should be making good decisions, we're called not to focus on what the good decisions should be, but on Jesus and on what Jesus is up to. With that in mind, let's move to verses 13 and 14, which say, You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So when I come to this verse, usually on a first reading, I'll think, all right, here's the fine print, right? He says we're free and then he tells us what to do, right? Are we free, Paul, or are we not free, right? Are we free or do we just need to serve one another? Um, but I think it's important to remember the context and who he's writing to. If you did have a chance to read Galatians 13 and 14, you would know something about the people he's writing to. One of my favorite stories is in Acts 14. Eric uh, recounted this story for us in the first sermon on Galatians. I'm gonna do it again because it's an awesome story. But when Paul went to uh, the city of Lystra with Barnabas. He began preaching, 
And there was a man there who, while he was preaching, he saw had faith, and so he healed this man miraculously. And the crowd in Lystra that was watching him started worshiping him as a god. In fact, Paul had to fight to keep them from making sacrifices to him on the spot. And then while this was going on, somebody from the outside came in, saw what was happening, and told the people in the crowd bad things about Paul. And the crowd decided that whoever was speaking was right. And they, and they decided to drag Paul out of the city and stone him to death. Except they didn't stick around to find out if they had finished the job because Paul survived. And he was able to stand up and walk and go right back into the city. Because Paul is awesome like that. And because the people of Lystra apparently were not very intimidating. And so they're fickle, they're easily swayed. They're also mostly not Jewish. And so their thinking doesn't come from the Jewish tradition. It comes from the Greco-Roman culture that they're saturated with. And when Paul tells them that the law is summed up in loving your neighbor as yourself, right? That's like mind blowing for them, right? They've never heard that before. And so, uh, for us, while we might hear, yeah, yeah, I know, love my neighbor as myself, you know, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Like for them, that's a new direction to go. They didn't think of that before. <laughs> and so I think this is like Paul seeing the churches in Galatia as bobbing boats, moving just under their own inertia, and just giving them a little nudge with his shoulder to point them in the right direction, right? Because he knows that while they believe in Christ, he's going to lead them to righteousness. And he's just giving them a little nudge in the right direction. I think he's also um, right, like reaching up and, and opening their sails so that the Holy Spirit can catch them like the wind and move them forward. And I think that's the kind of thing we can do too. Right? When we think of um, living into our faith in freedom rather than in legalism or obligations or what it means to make good decisions. Um, it it kind of makes me think of what we do when we watch TV, right? Um, like kids are the most, ob- I'm going to go with the kid example because they're the greatest. My son watches a show called Ninjago, right? Lego ninjas, right? If you haven't heard of it, it's kind of a big deal with kids of a certain age and, and he loves it, right? And when we stop the show and it's over, it's not over for my son, right? Because he becomes a Lego ninja. He finds whatever he can use as a sword, whether it's a, you know, an empty paper towel roll or a broomstick, and he starts fighting the bad guys. And usually I'm the bad guy, so I don't like, I don't like this show very much. <laughs> and... I've watched, uh, like, there's this YouTube channel I like, which is about woodworking, except the guy does his woodworking um, without power tools. He just does it with hand tools. And I get so pumped up watching what this guy can do with his bare hands um, that I go and I, like, I try to find a chisel and an axe and see what I can do. And it turns out power tools were invented for a good reason. <laughs> and that reason is to save your hands and your muscles from being destroyed. 
Uh, it's hard work, but I'm still fired up about it. And while I'm sawing through a two by six with, you know, a metal saw and my muscle power alone, I don't think, oh, this is terrible. I wish I could stop, right? Because I could stop. I could pick up my saw. I'm doing it because I'm passionate about what, you know, this, this show has shown me is possible. All right. All that is to say, we can experience the same thing when we start paying attention to what God is doing in our lives. Because I think we have two TVs on in our lives. One TV we watch, and that shows us what bad decisions we're making and what we ought to be doing, and it's the TV of shame and pride. And then there's another TV that shows us what God is doing in our lives for our sake. And we can pay attention to either one, and I think oftentimes we bounce back and forth quite a bit. Um, But if you're not watching the TV where God is working in your life, you know, for one thing, it it doesn't mean that God isn't working in your life, right? He is, whether you're aware of it or not. That's the promise of Scripture. Um, But you can, in um, paying attention to what God is doing as an active, loving, and present Father in your life, see that you are loved and that you are taken care of, regardless of the decisions that you're making. And so that's my invitation uh, this week, uh, maybe this month, is to instead of focusing on what decisions you ought to be making, just start paying attention, uh, looking for what God is doing um, in those uh, touch points of shame. Right? My hope with the three by five card exercise is that when you stumble into uh, these touch points of shame, you would be able to just, to just remember writing it down, folding it up, and then calling out Abba Father around that touch point um, rather than experiencing that same cascade of thoughts that I have when Eisen squeezes my midsection. With that, I think we have just a few minutes um, for questions or comments, if you have them. I don't know if we have a microphone to pass around. I guess, Ron, what I'm hearing you say is, or or my reaction is I'm thinking, okay, well, next time I eat a little too much, I'll just be like, oh, I'm I'm good because God says I'm good. And then I'm thinking, but but then I'm going to just go crazy. I'm going to, I'm going to keep eating and eating and eating. And I, I guess that's the, just my, my instant reaction from what you're saying. Sure. Yeah. No, I think, um, I think there is a fear there, right? I think um, I feel the same way oftentimes. And I guess what I would say is when you project what's going to happen in the future, I would hesitate to project what you're going to do and instead project what God is going to do. 
or at least wait and watch for what God is going to do. All right, it's uh, it's warm. Uh, let's pray and close. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and for the safety that we have in you. Thank you for freedom and for a chance to be weak. I pray, God, uh, that you would open our eyes to what you're going to do this week, and especially that when we feel ashamed that you would uh, remind us of the truth, the truth of who we are in Christ and the truth of what you're doing in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, we have a few ways to respond. The first way is through giving. Uh, It is through giving that we keep the lights on and the pastors paid. So please give generously, and if you're visiting, there's no expectation that you would give. The second way is with the healing chair. That's the white painted wooden chair in the back. If you feel uh, you are in need of healing and would like to be prayed over, if you sit back there, eventually uh, someone will see you and pray over you. The third way is through communion. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. And he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Uh, Take this, drink, eat in remembrance of me. And so if you can claim Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, uh, please join us in communion. Uh, We're going to start another uh, time of worship, and so uh, let's have communion and worship together.